Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. Juliana, thank you so much. That was powerful. The worship was powerful. The pancakes were powerful. We had some friends here from North Carolina who are helping us this week. Um, they've been on a journey with us for about three years. This is them over here. If you get a chance to speak to them, they cooked breakfast this morning. And man, I love all pancakes. I pretty much don't discriminate against any pancakes, but those were especially delicious. So if I nod off in the middle of the message, then shame on me, but you can blame them. And um, today is going to be a fun, fun uh, day. I am going to be like the, the crazy old uh, grandparent who just takes photos of everybody, the grandkids, the family. So uh, I'm going to be carrying chairs out of here in a little bit, but I'm also going to be uh, taking photos. And I'm excited about what God's doing. I love the prayer that Juliana prayed. Just the reminder that the Lord has led us every step of the way, you know, in the elementary school. Uh, and it's been funny over the last few weeks to have people say, I like the park the best. I like the hall the best. I like the school the best. I like the theater the best. And, and then to think about the memories, uh, the things that God has allowed to happen in each space, people who got baptized at each space and moments where God was powerful among us in the middle of each space and God has been so good to us. And so I'm excited about where God's leading us. And the thing that is the most encouraging is that he has a faithful track record every step of the way thus far, right? And so we're, we're in week two right now of a series called Canoeing the Mountains, Living and Leading in Uncharted Lands. Uh, because as a church, we're moving into uncharted lands. Uh, and it feels like we're all living in the middle of uncharted lands. Like there's not a lot um, other than like the word of God and kind of our journey to this point that will just tether us into what has been before. Like we're in a moment in history, a time in history where the world's evolving so fast that we can't just say, well, five years ago, so-and-so did such and such. And we can't even necessarily just look at what we've been or how we've led. We lean into an unchangeable God and an infallible word. Like in, un in uncharted lands, we lean into an unchanging God and a word that is ancient and reliable, the word of God. And so I want to tell you today, just getting started, a resume. Uh, I talked to somebody the other day. It was like, I wrote up my first resume in my entire life. Somebody in their 30s. I was like, well, you have been very fortunate to never have to do a resume. A resume cannot tell you, you know this, cannot tell you everything, but it can tell you something. Uh, for those of you who get to sift through resumes, I remember the very first church I worked in, the pastor retired after 30 years and they opened up a resume search. And so we would get all these resumes in the office. And those resumes didn't tell you everything, but they could tell you something. Like I remember we got one that was on uh, like yellow legal paper and it was handwritten. I was like, well, that doesn't tell me everything, but that most definitely tells me something, right? Like a resume can't tell you everything, but it can tell you something. Most, most, if not everybody who's ever been president or prime minister or something like that, like a significant world leader, they tend, they tend to have the resume. And I've heard a lot of people, there's, you know, a, a there's a revitalized interest in light of political affairs in the world right now. There's a revitalized interest in Winston Churchill. 
I've listened to more people reference Churchill in the last month than I probably had in the last 10 years before that. And so I think about Winston Churchill. I think about Neville Chamberlain, who was the prime minister before Churchill and is remembered as someone who did nothing in the midst of um, the Nazi military ransacking Europe. And then Churchill became the, pres- uh, the prime minister Great leaders, both of them had a good track record. They both had a pretty good resume up until that moment in uh, World War II. Churchill actually spoke against Hitler beginning in as early as 1933, and England didn't jump into the fray until around almost 1940, I believe, if I remember right. Maybe it was even after 1940. And yet, uh, here, he, he spoke years before. He could almost like see into the future what Hitler was going to be and what he was going to do. He spoke against him. That was part of his track record. He held lesser offices and success. Some offices, uh, if you know history, Winston Churchill was a spectacular failure in a couple of areas. Uh, but he always felt he failed forward. And so we see that in him. And, and the thing that I think Winston Churchill, who I personally would say is the greatest leader of the 20th century, the thing that he's most known for was his relentless ability to inspire and see an unknown future and keep persevering with great charm. Like uh, I've read accounts this week in preparing for today of people who were his secretaries and assistants and stuff like that. And they said, even in the midst of Britain of Britain being bombed and London being bombed at, uh, in the battle for London, he still had this charm and this ability to inspire people that was incredible. It's much more than a resume. So I would say your resume plus your track record plus your character make or break a leader in uncharted lands. That was true for Churchill. It was true for Lewis and Clark. The series is called Canoeing the Mountains. It's based on the adventures of Lewis and Clark, who went from, uh, they went from uh, Missouri uh, to the west, to the, the far west, to the, to the Pacific Ocean. And they had been led to believe, because it was uncharted lands, they had been led to believe that these were great river navigators, that if they took the rivers, they could go from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean, but they got to the Rocky Mountains, which they had no idea was actually there. And they go, hmm, these canoes are not going to get us across those mountains, and we've got to figure out a new way forward. And so this series is kind of built around that idea of how to lead and how to function in a place where your canoes have to get you across the mountains. It's true for us. Uh, as well. Um, But all of that is established when we're on the map. Who we're going to be off the map is established on the map. Who you're going to be as a leader, whether it's a husband or head of household or parent or older sibling or boss or sweet mate, as a leader, who you're going to be when there is no map anymore is established long before we get off the map. It's established every day in the grind. So today I want us to read six verses in Proverbs 11. Uh, We're going to look at what it looks like to have character on the map. I want us to, you know, the Proverbs, uh, the overwhelming majority of the book of Proverbs is a lot of typically like contrasts between one good thing and one bad thing. And you're going to see five contrasts here between the person of character and the person without. Proverbs 11, verse 1. Now, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. 
The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. Lord, will you speak through me? Will what you are building deep down into my soul, will you help me to get it out into these people's ears and hearts today? And God, most of all, would you speak to us? Would we not leave here a changed people in just a little bit? In Jesus' name, amen. So here are the five contrasts. The first one is honesty versus fraud. It says, uh, the first one is honesty versus fraud. We're not even going to have slides up for a couple of these. Honesty is what the, the writer of the proverb says is a just weight. The, the image is of somebody being at the marketplace and they have a scale because they're weighing out what someone's buying. And a just weight is a person who whatever they put on the scale is legitimately that. Whereas the, the other one, the false, the false balance, is the idea of a scale where either the scale is tipped in the favor of the seller or what is being put on there. Like if you were buying three apples, the, the seller might put three apples down, but they might have something where they just keep their hand, they put their finger on the scale so that they're charging you more than what you're actually buying. The, the writer of Proverbs says that's an abomination to the Lord. The Lord abhors it. The Lord hates it. We hear in our culture sometimes what God hates. Oh, God hates these people. God hates this. God hates that. Here, the Bible actually tells us what God hates. God hates fraud. Have you ever met somebody who pretends to be something that they're not? You ever seen that in church? Oh, man. It's like, we've all seen that in church, right? Like, we've seen that. Somebody who's pretending to have it all together, but in truth, they don't. The Lord abhors that. He has no patience for that. This is not a place where any of us have to act perfect. Man, we're to be people of faith. We're to be people who are being transformed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God together. We don't have to act like we're something we're not. That's actually the lack of character. We're becoming like Christ, but we do it without having to do, we don't have to be fraudulent. We don't have to take our righteousness and tip our finger on it like we are more than we are or we've got more than we are. We just are ourselves. It's what's called a just weight. The Bible tells us that God hates fraud and deceit and false balances, but he loves honesty. The second contrast is humility versus pride. In verse 2, it said, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. God loves humility. In fact, it says that God loves humility so much that he allows it to then usher in wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to see the world and ourselves and life through, from the perspective of God. Humility brings wisdom, but pride, it says, brings disgrace. Now, let me give you a quick working definition of humility. A lot of you have heard this. I've shared it. You probably heard much better preachers than me share this with you. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's the ability to become self-forgetful, and it is a challenge, right? Because the gravity of our hearts always leans us toward, I got I to gotta get mine, I got to defend my rights, I've got to prove myself, I've got to validate myself. Listen, we can become self-forgetful and know that that will bring wisdom. I, I love the little um, acronym I've heard for joy. Joy is living with Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. 
I don't know if that brings joy. I know it brings humility. If we could wake up every morning and before we really get going, even if we're in the morning commute, and say, God, help me prioritize in this manner today. You first, everybody else second, myself last. That will bring wisdom. The Proverbs promise that will bring wisdom to us. The third contrast we see is integrity versus crookedness. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. So one guides, the other destroys. One is of the upright, the other is of the treacherous. Integrity is not about talk, and it's not about appearances. Integrity is wholeness. I was not a math major. How many of you are math people? Some of you are violently shaking your head. No, I relate to that, right? Some of you are math people. I, once, once we got past like multiplication and addition and subtraction and division, we were done. We, we we're homeschooling our children. And I've told Nat, I'm like, there's a cap on this. Like, unless God miraculously provides a math genius, uh, we're going to be out about ninth or 10th grade on this homeschooling thing, right? Because our math brain combined will get us to about 10th grade. I'm just not good with it. Once you got to fractions, I have to like Google how to multiply and divide fractions. I don't know. Uh, if there's a simple way to learn how to multiply and divide fractions, the math people, you can show me later. Nicole's shaking her head. She says there is no simple way to <laughs> multiply and divide fractions. Fractions uh, are, are different than integers. Integers, I believe, are whole numbers. Where we get the word integers is where we get the idea of integrity. It's wholeness. It's wholeness. God wants us to be whole people so that what we say and what we do and who we project ourselves as and what we believe are all aligned. They're all aligned. The person who has integrity never has to walk in a room and wonder, am I going to get caught saying I, this here and this here. It's that classic sitcom thing where the guy has got to run into the bathroom and change into the other outfit on the date because he's with two people. And he's too, like, that is the opposite of integrity. God would have us be aligned in what we say, do, believe, and how we project ourselves. And God blesses that person. He blesses that person. He guides them. And they're called upright. The upright person with integrity can walk around with their shoulders back and their chin up because they have nothing to fear. God knows where we are. The fourth, um, oh, and let me say uh, before, because when we talk about integrity, we're talking about righteousness. That's the, another biblical word for it. Let me say that if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian today, that Jesus is our righteousness. At the cross, Jesus took all of our sin upon himself and imparted to us his righteousness. So for the one who at some point in your life has said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm turning from my sin and self-rule, and I'm trusting you to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Will you come into my life and be the Lord of my life? At that moment that we do that, God's Spirit comes and lives in us, but God imparts to us the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at Annie, or when God looks at Miguel, or when God looks at Thompson, if they've given their life to him, God doesn't say, oh, man, Annie lost it on Bryn this morning because Bryn did so-and-so in the car. Or, oh man, the Lord is frustrated with Miguel this week because Miguel got really mad at a customer at work or a co-worker. 
Or, oh man, the Lord is down on Thompson this week because Thompson didn't pray this week. The Lord looks at us, regardless of how we perform, and says, I see the righteousness of Jesus. I see the righteousness of Jesus. That is my child, my adopted kid. They are part of my family. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. What integrity is, is it's living into that righteousness. It's depending on God, his Holy Spirit in us, the word with us, and the church among us to then grow into the people that God has declared us to be. That's discipleship. It's growing, integrity and discipleship is growing into what God has declared us to be by the cross of Jesus. And then the fourth uh, contrast in verse 5, it says, The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. It's blamelessness. It's not sinlessness. God doesn't expect you and I to be sinless. He would not have said, Jesus, I believe I'm cutting out. Is it okay? Do I need to go to a handheld? Uh, God does not expect us to be sinless. He wants us, the, the righteous person who has character is unaccusable. That's what it means. It means to be unaccusable versus the person who is wicked. The Bible says the wicked person who can have an accusation leveled against them trips and falls. They trip and fall. It's the person who's constantly stumbling over themselves. Have you ever met someone who sort of character-wise just can't get out of their own way? They constantly self-destruct. The opposite of that is the person who is not sinless but is blameless. No accusation can be leveled against them. I see this so much in, in so many of you. I see that God has developed his character and his heart in your life. And you're not sinless, but I wouldn't look and go, oh, he's such a hypocrite. She's pretending to be something that she's not. That's blamelessness. The fifth contrast is the upright versus the treacherous. We've seen this one before in verse 3. The upright, though, are delivered, whereas the treacherous are captured. Now, let me ask you a question. Does a person with Proverbs 11, 1 through 6 character seem like someone you would be willing to follow? This is the person I want to follow. If I'm looking to a leader, I want the person who is honest, humble, has integrity, is blameless, and is upright. This is who, what God wants us to grow into as leaders. Whether we're leading one person or a thousand people, this is, the, this is the type of character that God would have us grow into. And that leads to the big idea today. If you write one thing down today, here it is. Stewardship precedes leadership. Stewardship precedes leadership. Handling what God has given you on the map will empower you and enable you and make you trustworthy when life takes you off the map. Stewardship precedes leadership. The uh, Proverbs 11, 1 through 6 person or leader has stewarded their faith and their character and their business and their wealth and their relationships. They've stewarded it. Conversely, our sins will cluster the person who doesn't have, hasn't stewarded what God has entrusted to them, you will, will usually find that their sins cluster. If there's a leadership sin, it usually uh, reveals character sins. Have you ever noticed like when a story breaks in the news about the CEO of some big company who it turns out was cheating the company, guess what? They were often cheating on their wife. They're often cheating everybody else, stealing from other people. And we look and we go, that person was such a dirtbag. We just didn't know it. But once you start 
Like those sins cluster. Our sins cluster. Leadership sins reveal. Character sins, character sins often accompany leadership sins. Therefore, I love this quote from a guy named Jim Osterhaus. He says, trust is gained like a thermostat and lost like a light switch. Trust is gained like a thermostat and lost like a light switch. The heat was on 58 last night. And praise God for these old windows that we won't have to sit and worship with anymore. When they came in this morning, it was on 53. The heat was on 58 and it warmed the room to 53. Trust is built like a thermostat. It's slow, slow. But trust is lost like a light switch. It's lost like this. It goes out quickly. Trust is built. Stewardship precedes leadership. And the way that we build trust is by making deposits and withdrawal, like we make deposits versus withdrawals. I was doing premarital counseling yesterday for a couple up in Andover. That's why I was in your, your neck of the woods. And uh, I ta- we talked about this, how in a marriage, every time that you do something well and you love the other person the way they love to be loved, you're making a deposit. And every time you do something stupid, you're making a withdrawal. And you could tell they were like, we're tracking. And she was like, he does this. And I was like, withdrawal, <laughs> withdrawal. I was like, you got to quit making withdrawals. And then, you know, they would say, oh, but he, she said, oh, but he also does this, deposits. And if you make steady deposits, sometimes life is going to bring you withdrawals. There's going to be seasons where life brings withdrawals and relationships and in leadership and all those things. There's going to be seasons of withdrawals. But if you've steadily built trust and gained credibility and made emotional deposits, you can withstand the withdrawals. Where marriages end is where one or both people get really lazy and stop making deposits. And then life brings a withdrawal and there's nothing there to pull out from. Good leaders make lots of little deposits and that builds trust and credibility so that when a withdrawal comes, they're okay. We deposit as leaders, whether it's in marriage or parenting or at work or in leadership, we deposit honesty. We deposit humility. We deposit integrity. We deposit blamelessness. We deposit uprightness like like Proverbs 11 said. Character on the map precedes credibility off the map. Character and competence on the map precede credibility off the map. No one has the right to just go, oh, just trust me. I don't have to trust you. You don't have to trust me. It's a privilege for me to be your pastor. Whether you call me Pastor JD or you just come to me and ask me to pray for you or do something for you, that's a privilege. You don't just owe me that. Character and competence on the map precede credibility off the map. And that's true in all areas of leadership and of life. Churchill had proven himself on the map. So when London started being bombed for days after days after days, the people trusted him. He had built credibility as they went off the map, and their city was being bombed. We're watching right now the same thing play out in world politics, right? There is a leader 
who has built, we didn't know him before, but he has proven himself to these people, despite, by the way, his upbringing. There's a leader right now who is a history maker who literally won the Ukrainian version of Dancing with the Stars. That's how this guy got elected. But he's proven himself with his character and his competence. And so now the people are watching their city being bombed and their nation being ransacked. And they're trusting this man to the very last. Character and competence on the map lead to credibility off the map. There has to be congruence, though. And I think we've got these up. We're going to put these in five words. I think... There has to be congruence or alignment of our character to build in credibility. I want to share with you five ways that I think you need to, that we have to see these things aligned. Number one, there has to be alignment of your temperament. Your temperament, your personality. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Are you a positive person like my wife? Or are you a not so much positive person like me? Like, I tend to say I'm a realist. Sometimes she goes, you're being pessimistic. I'm like, I'm being a realist. Uh, And so we fight about that. That's my temperament. I wish I could be as sunshiny and upbeat as she usually is. I I just don't have the ability to do it. It's not my temperament. It's not how God wired me. I'm not right. She's not right. Some of us just have different temperaments. And some of that is shaped by nature. Some of it's shaped by nurture. Some of it, though, all of it for a Christian ought to be transformed by the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. God doesn't get rid of my personality or your personality when we become Christians, but he transforms it and conforms it to the image and temperament of Christ. That's discipleship. So there has to be congruence of temperament. There has to be congruence of vision, of vision. Vision is the thing that leads a leader. Vision is what can be and what has to be. Temperament and vision have to align. Vision becomes the bullseye. For the leader, everybody in the world is going to have an agenda or a vision for the thing that you are leading. You've got to, though, as the leader, say, no, that's not the bullseye. We cannot aim at anything other than the bullseye. Given the choice, my children would eat pancakes and for breakfast every single day. And then they would eat either a burger or um, Alfredo or nachos or chicken nuggets. For the rest of our life, they would only eat those four meals, right? It would just be a revolving door of pancakes and then those four things for dinner for the rest of our life. But guess what? They're not the leader. And they are not the ones entrusted with the vision for Casa de Mangrum. And so guess what? I say that's not what we're going to eat. And we're going to try to accommodate. But the Lord, as the leader, God's going to hold me and Natalie accountable. So we pick the bullseye. And we're taking our family somewhere. As the leader, there has to be alignment of temperament and vision, what can be and what has to be. There also has to be alignment of conviction. Now, conviction is the compass. How many of you are hikers? I think about Drew on this one. He's not going to raise his hand because his temperament is introvert. But I know he is a hiker. When you go hiking, there's usually three types of people who go hiking. The first one is the selfie person. They are literally, if they bring nothing else but a cell phone, they're getting to the top of that mountain and they're taking the photo, right? Then there's the snack guy or girl. 
Like, this is the one who, like, if you get lost in the woods, this person's going to be all set. They got, like, snacks and pockets and, you know, granola bars here and bottles of water everywhere. I am not the snack person. Um, so, and my boys definitely are not. Natalie is the snack person. So, we'll, we got lost one time in the woods up at the Middlesex, whatever that is, up right up there in Medford. And, uh, and my boys were like, we're so thirsty. And we're like, we had, we've gone, like, a half mile. Like, <laughs> And I thank God that Natalie was like a camel. Like, she's carrying so many bottles of water, and we, we made it by the end. They were like, so there's a snack person, and there's the selfie person, but then there's the compass person. And thank God for the compass person. This is the person who will get you through, who knows the direction that you're going. Convictions are compasses taking us toward the vision and the destination. So there's got to be congruence of temperament, vision, conviction, two more. There's got to be alignment of skill. The ability to move toward the vision without compromising the convictions. This is where, this is what separates the leaders from the followers. The leader has the skill to maintain the vision and align the temperament and the conviction and move it toward where God has called us to go. This is a learned trait, by the way. For some people, it's just intuitive. It's a God-given gift. Natural leaders is a God-given gift. But I don't believe that leadership is something you're born with. I think it's something you can grow into by God's grace. Moses was not always a leader. He grew into that. Skill is the ability to move toward the vision without compromising the convictions. And then the fifth one, adversity. You know, Churchill was a tremendous failure in, war, in the First World War. Tremendous failure. And he made some dumb uh, calls at the beginning of the Second World War. But you know what happened? He learned from them, and he persevered through them, and he failed forward. Nobody's flawless. There's times that the leader is going to get it wrong. But failing forward, if there's congruence of that along with conviction, vision, skill, and temperament, we can grow. We keep moving forward. I think about the disciple Peter, Simon Peter, who denied Jesus three times on the night he was arrested and cursed the girl out the third time. I don't, insert Boston adjectives, know that guy. I don't know that guy. But just a few days later, Jesus restored him. He failed forward. And then on Pentecost, 40 days later, Peter's the one who gets up and gives the sermon that causes thousands of people to begin to follow Jesus. Peter failed forward. Now, here's the thing. When we are experienced as congruent, when all five of those things align, trust goes up. When there's consistent alignment between temperament, vision, conviction, skill, and adversity, trust goes up. And here becomes the result. Proven competence or character Plus, we have the formula, I think, for this, plus meaningful work, that's leadership and action, leads to trust off the map. When we are, we've proven that there's congruence of those five things, and we're in the middle of meaningful work, when those things happen, there becomes trust off the map. I was talking with a couple of the guys on the team this morning, and they were like, what's the hardest part of starting a church in Boston? I was like, it's really hard. You never get to take a day off. Like, the, guy, the people who have been here for five years know that it has been, for five years, it has been a push. 
And there's not been a moment yet in five years where we're like, oh, we've arrived, Christ Church Charlestown. We've arrived. We're exactly who God's called us to be. We're done. Let's just keep preaching the Bible and let's maintain what we've got. It's a, gr- it's a grind planting the church in Boston. It, it requires you showing up and making coffee and sweeping floors and putting out A-frame signs in the snow and doing all of those things. But listen, when we do something meaningful together and we've proven ourselves and we can trust one another, then guess what? When God leads us into uncharted waters, we trust one another. We trust one another. That's leadership. It applies over. As a church, we're heading off the map. We're heading off the map after today. We're moving into a place I never thought we would be. I've been a pastor for almost 15 years, like the lead pastor. Never have I ever, did I ever think I would be pastoring a church in a church building. I've pastored a church in coffee shops, parks, multiple parks, black box theaters, schools, Never did I think we would go into a church building. Somebody asked me a question the other day about what our church is going to do in a church building. I was like, I don't know. It's going to take us a minute to figure that out. I don't know the answer to that. I never thought we would be in this spot. We're moving off the map. I hope you will let me pastor you off the map like you have allowed me to pastor you thus far on the map. But that will hinge on how well I've stewarded this moment on the map. And the same is true for you where you lead. I want you to let me pastor you as we move off the map onto a new map. But that will hinge on how well I've done on the map. Same will be true for you in your areas of leadership. I want to tell you, there's going to be places that I will fail. I hope to fail forward. Some of you I have let down in five years. I'm glad that I'm not your Savior, that Jesus is, because he gets it right, and I certainly do not. I certainly do not get it right all the time. But I do want there to be alignment. And so this is not a message, as we wind it down, I want to tell you this is not a message about how you and I can be heroes and functional saviors. This is a message about how Jesus is an actual savior. And if we point people toward him with how we live our life, then we gain credibility as leaders. You can and I can and must trust Christ when we go off the map and live by faith. And I want to tell you, Jesus is flawless and he's competent and he's congruent and he's trustworthy with all areas of our lives. This is not a message about us trying harder. And it's a message about how as we follow Christ, he will lead us. The best leaders are not perfect people. The best leaders are people who have been mastered by a good Savior, a good Savior, a good, good Savior. Let me ask you four questions and we'll pray. Is there any area in your life right now where you lack congruence? Temperament, vision, conviction, skill, adversity, leader. Is there any area in your life where you do not see alignment currently? Number two, who is a person that you may need to rebuild trust with? Is there anyone in your life that you need to make more deposits and less withdrawals? Is there anybody you need to build trust with that God has entrusted to you? Third question, how can you make deposits in the lives of people you lead? Maybe you're going to think about people in your home or your friendship circle or your workplace. How can you make deposits in the lives of the people you lead? People obviously like to be loved and appreciated differently. 
Some of you love it if I'm like, I see you, I'm doing this. Some of you like it if you get a note in the mail. Some of you like it if I send you a Dunkin' Donuts card so you can get a free coffee. I don't have to thank you, just send you coffee. People like to be affirmed and led and have deposits made in different ways. And those are good things. And thank God, he doesn't love us all the same way. Jesus meets us at our point of need and he loves us specifically. I'm in the last question. What is meaningful that you are in the middle of or that God may be calling you to? Is there anything meaningful off the map that you find yourself in the middle of or that God may be calling you to? There's a verse in the Old Testament that talks about how deep calls to deep. The beautiful thing about getting in the water with Jesus is he always calls us to deeper waters. And he says, look, I'm still touching the bottom. You can trust me. Come out here. We're like, Jesus, it's really scary. I'm good here in the shallow end. He's like, no, no, no. Come out here and be with me. And so then we take a step in faith and we grow closer to him. And then like a good parent, not a sadistic weirdo, he says, I'm I'm going a little deeper. Come deeper with me. Come deeper with me. Come deeper with me. And he's trustworthy off the map. So as we follow him, He allows us to lead others. Lord, I don't feel like you led me today to preach a everybody give your life to Christ message. But I do think you have led me today to preach a message that says, come come follow Christ, the only perfect example. And God, I pray that we wouldn't hear any sense of we have to try harder as your people. I pray we would hear that Jesus is our righteousness, that Jesus is a trustworthy guide, and that we become who we were made to be as we draw near to you and allow you to draw near to us. So God, I pray we would do those things. Lord, if there's anybody sitting here in this room who needs to surrender their life to you, they need to follow you off of their current map and into salvation and relationship with you, I pray that they would do that. And God, I pray that you would help us be a people who um, lead well as we follow well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.